Because where there is forgiveness, you get God back. And when you get God back, you get everything back. You get his life, his love in an unbroken stream. See, this man went from outside of the temple, symbolically outside of God's presence, to being inside the temple, inside of God's presence. How did he get there? Peter tells you, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, you are reconciled to God. In the name of Jesus, you get your life back, all of it. That's the church's faith. The following is a sermon from Peace Lutheran, a church located in downtown Aiken, South Carolina. For more information and for more content, go to peaceinaiken.com. Today we continue our Easter sermon series where we're looking in the book of Acts at what the ascended, the risen Jesus works in the world. We're continuing with this story here from Acts chapter 3. This is what Luke teaches us. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth, was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, Look at us. So the man gave him that gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is God's word. I think that there is great, great risk today. I always think that when it comes to looking at miracles, there's there's great, great risk for us modern Christians that we get bored and disinterested with them very, very quickly. And that happens, A, because we look at the miracle and we think, well, that's nice. A guy got out of his wheelchair, you know. But the biggest miracle that I've seen these days is I think St. Agnes might have helped some lady find her thimble. 
And so, A, we look at it and we think, well, that doesn't really happen anymore today. It doesn't apply. So we get disinterested. Or B, we think of miracles in only a one-dimensional way. We look at it and we say, God and his power is majestic. And then the minute we think that, we think, well, we've learned everything we can from this miracle and we move on with our lives. So there's great, great risk, I think, when it comes to approaching this miracle. But where there is great risk, I believe there is also great opportunity for reward. You know, for months now, I've been wanting to, to do a teaching on this little phrase in the Apostles' Creed that I think often gets missed. What do we say in the Apostles' Creed? We say, I believe in the Holy Christian Church. That's what we say in there. We say, I believe in the church. We, we, we put that phrase in there right up there with, I believe in Almighty God who made heaven and earth. We put it right in there with, their, with, with confessing that I believe in the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. Right up there in there we say, I believe in the church. I believe in the church. Here we are at this time in the life of our church. We are turning a corner. Here we are. We get this story which teaches us why we say, I believe in the church. I want to see, show you three things in this miracle, three things in the church. I believe in the, I believe in the church. I believe in her hope. I believe in her faith. And I believe in her mission, her hope, her faith, her mission. Let's start with her hope. I want to point out to you today the completely obvious. This is what we call the church's first miracle. The church did this miracle. This is the church's miracle. The church's first miracle. It shows you what her hope is. Look at this man. I think there's three details in this story that should really grab your heart. Here's the first one. Did you notice that Luke said the man was placed he was set there. He was placed at the temple gate. The man didn't even have a wheelchair. He was ported. He was carried. He couldn't even get up to go to the bathroom if he wanted to. He was set there. Here's the second detail I want you to notice. This breaks my heart. Peter said, did you catch this? Peter said, look at us. He said, look at us. He told the man, look at us. This was after the man asked for money. He said, look at us. What does that tell you? The man couldn't look anybody in the eye. 
He was so used to people just treating him like he was a human piece of trash that he didn't even bother looking at people in the face. I don't know if you know this. I, I only know this because I have a big sister who has disabilities. She has Down syndrome. But when you have disabilities, you are an invisible person. I can't tell you how many times I've stood there with my big sister, who is perfectly capable of speaking for herself about her own life. And instead of people talking to her, instead of people looking at her, they talk to me. Like she was absolutely nothing. What is it like to be an invisible person? What is it like to not be seen? To expect that in your life. Peter said, look at us. Because the man never looked anybody in the eye. Here's the last little detail. The man asked for money. He asked for money. Why did he ask for money? He could ask for something else. He asked for money. It was his highest hope. Look at this miracle. It shows you the church's hope. In fact, I want to, for a second, let me broaden your perspective on miracles. What is a miracle? Biblically, what is a miracle? Miracles in the Bible are never a mere display of power from God. Never. They are never God on command sending a lightning bolt. They are never God causing believers jumping to jump from cloud to cloud. They are never a mere display of power. What are miracles in the Bible? Miracles are God returning his creation to his normal. See, I want to clarify this for you. So many people look at miracles and they say, you know, here's what a miracle is. They, th they say miracles are God interrupting the normal. That's wrong. Miracles are God restoring his creation to his normal to the way that it was always meant to be, but then sin wrecked it. Complete and utter restoration. That's not what I teach. That's what Peter taught. Peter interpreted this for us. He said this about Jesus and what he did here. He said, heaven must receive Jesus until the time comes, here's the key words, for God to restore everything. Restore everything. What is a miracle? A miracle is God pulling forward into the present just for a moment what he ultimately intends to do with Christ. It is a prophecy, a forecast, a sneak peek, a behind-the-scenes look, a, a, a little picture of what God is going to do when he sends Christ again.
complete and utter restoration. Every human plane of existence is addressed in this miracle. This man was all alone. Relationally, he's healed. He can't let go of Peter and John. This man has no emotional life. He can't even look at people in the eye. He ends up leaping and dancing in the temple. This man is spiritually nothing. He comes to spiritual life. He's praising God. This isn't just a physical healing. Every plane of this man's existence was restored. This is a picture of resurrection life. I want to push that into your heart just for a second. In this world, what is the highest hope? It's money. It's economics. But what is the church's hope? The Church Father Ambrose said it before I did, but health. <laughs> Even health is so much more than money. This is not just health. This is spirituality. This is not just spirituality. This is emotionality. This is not just emotionality. This is relationality. Every aspect of this man's life is healed. This is the church's hope. We announced last Sunday that on June 6th, we're snapping back to normal. Everything's going to go back to normal here at peace. I'm excited about that. I hope you're excited about it too. But I want you to remember something. That's not our hope. Our normal was never that great. Jesus came into our normal to save us from it. I read a story by a lady named Micheline Kamba. She almost committed suicide until she learned about this hope. She was wheelchair-bound, an invisible person, Somebody who felt unseen by people, not useful to the world, and, and worst of all, she felt unseen by God. Then she gained this hope. So you want to ask you, what hurts in your life? What's broken? This is your hope. Leaf, leaping, praising, Life in the presence of God. That's the church's hope. This is her faith. It's not, a, it's not a small detail that this man, his location changes in the story. He starts out outside the temple. He ends up inside the temple. 
See, he starts out symbolically outside of the presence of God. He ends up symbolically inside the temple with the life of God. This is important because I think most of the time people read this story and, and they look at the location and they think, well, I know why he's at that location because that's where you get a lot of money because that's where there's a lot of traffic. And that's absolutely true. There's a commentator, a guy by the name of Desiderius Erasmus. He lived about 500 years ago. He's insightful on this. He reminds us that so often there can be this cycle of greed and corruption when it comes to these things. It's possible that what this guy was up to was just a lucrative money gig. You know, his friends would bring him there every day. They'd get a cut of it. And they'd use this man's palsied, broken appearance to get a lot of money for themselves. But there's something else going on here. Not just a money-making scheme, but also, also, a great spiritual truth. See, whenever you encounter a miracle, there's always a deeper spiritual truth that's going on. Yes, it's true, there's a physical healing here, but there's also a spiritual reality that's attached to it. What's the real problem in life? Every ailment, every disability... Every hurt, every pain, every cough, every bum knee is just a symptom of the bigger problem in life. And that's sin. What would happen if all of us were caught up in the unbroken stream of God's power and God's love? Our lives would look like this guy after the miracle. We'd all be leaping around and dancing all the time, but sometimes our knee hurts. Every pain, every disability, every physical reality, every difficulty is a symptom of the greater problem. Sin has cut us off from God. Peter said the same thing when he was teaching on this later in chapter 3. What did he say? He said, repent then and turn to God that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. What is he talking about? He's saying sin is the problem. God is the solution. And when we have a reconciled relationship with God, God is going to refresh our lives. He's going to totally restore us. Sin is the problem. Of course, I hope all of us realize that by now. We should all realize it. What's the greatest proof of this? The proof of this is that there is no physical thing that will ever save your life. You know this. This man gets his walking back. He goes ambulatory without faith. Guess what? Three months later, he's going to have a whole new set of problems. You know this. Think about your life. 
We all think there's one thing I got. There's silver, there's gold. I got to get out of this wheelchair. I got to get out of this job. I got to get out of this relationship. I just need that one thing to change. If I get that one thing to change, then my life is going to be okay. Then you get it. Three months later, whole new set of problems. Silver or gold is not going to save your soul. Getting out of a wheelchair is not going to save your soul. It's just a symptom of the bigger problem, sin. Of course, Jesus is the best teacher on this. Maybe some of you recognize that, that well before Peter ever did this miracle, Jesus did it. Same exact miracle. You know I did it? Friends bring this lame man, this paralytic, to Jesus. They They've got him on this mat. They cut a hole in a roof. They lower this guy to Jesus. And what was the first thing Jesus said to the man? He said, friend, your sins are forgiven. And then the guy said, that's not what I came for. I'm just kidding. That's not what he said. Because he knew better. See, every, every paralysis, every lameness, every disability, every hurt, every brokenness, every piece of it in our lives is a symptom of a greater problem. We need our sins forgiven. Because when our sins forgiven, we get God back. And we, when we get God back, we get his life in an unbroken stream. See? And so the solution is Jesus. Do you know what our church says about this? I love this in our catechism. Do you know what we say? Where there is the forgiveness of sins, there is also life and salvation. Because where there is forgiveness, you get God back. And when you get God back, you get everything back. You get his life, his love in an unbroken stream. See, this man went from outside of the temple, symbolically outside of God's presence, to being inside the temple, inside of God's presence. How did he get there? Peter tells you, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, you are reconciled to God. In the name of Jesus, you get your life back, all of it. That's the church's faith. So we've gone through two parts so far. We've seen the church's hope and we've seen the church's faith. And I want to finish today by talking to you about the church's mission. I already pointed out to you that this is the church's first miracle. It's the church's first miracle. Peter does this. The church does it. It's the church's first miracle. See, this is important because what the problem is, what the question is in the book of Acts is this. Now that Jesus has risen from the dead, now that Jesus has ascended into heaven, 
Where is Jesus going to do his work? Where is Jesus going to show up? And the answer that Luke gives you is this. In the church. In the church. See, Peter does this miracle. Peter does this miracle. That's, that's part of this thing. Peter does a miracle. Peter says to the man, look at us. Peter says that. Peter says, look at us. Then Peter gives his epic statement. He says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Then Peter. See, it was Peter. This is very moving, I think. Peter takes his right hand. He touches this man. He does this miracle just like Jesus would do miracles. He takes this man by the right hand. He lifts him up, and immediately his ankles and feet were strengthened. Peter grabbed the man. See, Peter did. Well, sort of. Jesus did it too. Afterwards, a whole bunch of gawkers gathered around, as people are prone to do. You understand that this guy's in the temple courts. He's leaping. He's probably touching his heels together. That's how I imagine this. And so they're gawking, and, and Peter addresses this crowd of gawkers. He says, why are you looking at us? <laughs> He says, we didn't do this by our power or by our godliness. Why are you looking at us? This man was healed through Jesus. It is by faith in, in, in this Jesus that this man was saved. So it was Peter and Jesus. It was Jesus working through Peter. Oh, man, that's important. Do you realize how rare miracles really are in world history? They hardly ever happen. Sometimes people have this impression that miracles are all over the Bible. That's not true. If you read the Bible, you find out that miracles are almost exclusively relegated to a few decades, just a few decades in world history. Most of the time, there were little to no miracles at all. Miracles hardly ever happen. That's why if somebody came in here in a wheelchair today, I wouldn't be able to say that. I'm get up and out out of your wheelchair. It's not that I don't have the faith to do it. It's that it's not how Jesus is choosing to work today. Miracles hardly ever happen. They only happen in four times in world history, really. Creation, Moses, Elijah and Elisha, Jesus and the apostles. Four major times in world history, that's it. This one happened here. See, miracles have a specific function. They are confirmations. 
They are affirmations. Why did Jesus do miracles? Jesus did miracles to prove to the world, to affirm himself to the world, to confirm to everybody that he was, that he is who he says he is. He is the Son of God. This miracle is confirmation. It is affirmation that the church is who she says she is. The place where Jesus works. The place where Jesus works. See, this miracle should electrify us. It should. It should knock our socks off. That Jesus moves. That Jesus speaks. That Jesus lives in his church. I mean, what do you think church is? Do we, we, do we talk about Jesus here? No. Jesus talks here. Why do we get together as Christians? It's not just to see each other. It's because Jesus shows up when Christians get together. That's not my teaching. That's what Jesus said. What did Jesus say? He said, whoever listens to you listens to me. He said, if you forgive anyone their sins, they are forgiven. If you, the church, do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. See, he said, where, where two or three gather together in my name, there I am with them. Jesus moves lives, acts in his church. This should electrify us. This is exactly what Peter taught. And by the way, this is not something that makes us proud. I love what Peter said about this. He said this. He said, we didn't do it by our power or by our godliness. This isn't making us proud. You know, what do people get from us? Nothing. Are we even any better than unbelievers morally sometimes? It's not by our power. It's not by our godliness. But Peter also didn't say this. He didn't say, we didn't do it. Because he did. See, Christ's voice became, became Peter's voice, and Peter's voice became Christ's voice. When I preach to you, I'm not giving you my gospel. I'm giving you his gospel. Our, this isn't our baptism. It's his baptism. We don't give you our supper. We give you what's called the Lord's Supper. See, this should electrify us. We are Christ's voice, Christ's gospel, 
Christ's people, Christ's holiness, Christ's hands, and Christ's feet in the world. Jesus moves through us. Dear church, I couldn't decide which truth today you needed to hear more. Do you need to be reminded today what a privilege then it is to receive the church? Do you need to be reminded today what a joy it is that when you come here, you can expect to meet Jesus? I mean, isn't it great that on Sunday, you don't have to listen to Jonathan preach? That you get to listen to Jesus. I've wondered this. Do you think anybody would fall asleep in a sermon? Do you think anybody would miss church even? Except in an extreme situation? If they really believed that Jesus was going to be here? I wondered to myself if that's the truth you needed to hear today. Be reminded what a privilege it is that you get to receive the church. That's why we say as Christians, and we have for the longest time, that God is our Father, but the church, the church is our mother, as Jesus works through her. Or, or do you need to be reminded today that you, you get to be the church? That when you Go out into the world. You are a Christian. A little Christ. That's what a Christian is. A little Christ. A, a Christ. A person through whom Jesus works. Somebody who sees the invisible person. I love, I love what Peter says here. I'm very moved by it. He says this. He says, what I have, I give you. Isn't that a great line? What I have, I give you. He gave this man two things, not one. He gave him the primary thing. He gave this man the gospel. But he also gave this man healing. He gave this man both. What I have, I give you. I want to help you think about that. There's, a, there's a, a story that many Christians know that serves as a kind of parable. You can kind of noodle on it after I tell it to you. The story goes like this. There's a pope by the name of Innocent II. He was counting out a whole big, large sum of money. And a really important theologian, still important theologian today, a guy by the name of Thomas Aquinas, he has this conversation. Here's how it goes. The Pope said, you see, Thomas, the church can no longer say, silver and gold have I none. True Holy Father was the reply. Neither can she now say, rise and walk. 
we may not be able to do confirming miracles anymore for the gospel. But what we can do is confirm the gospel with our love and show people that we mean it. Peter said, what I have, I give you. What do you have? What does the other person need? And what can you give them? The hymn says this, Lord, teach us the lesson thou hast taught to feel for those thy blood hast bought that every thought and deed and action may be a work worked for you. What do you need today? Do you need to be reminded that you get to receive the church? Or do you need to be reminded that you get to be the church? I'm going to close the sermon today like this. Look at me. (laughs) That's what Peter said. Look at me. There's a deep spiritual truth here. We're all beggars who deserve to be outside of the presence of God. Invisible people who have been seen. Jesus saw us and he came to us and he said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. And then he gave us himself, his life, his death, his resurrection. It is yours. And now what you get to do is you get to go out into that world and you get to be a little Christ, a little picture of what has already been given to you. I believe in the church. I believe in that. I do. I believe in her hope that we all are going to have resurrection life in Jesus' name. I believe in her faith that sin is our problem and Jesus is our reconciler and God is our future. I believe in her mission. The church is the place in God's world where Jesus moves and Jesus ministers. And Jesus brings life. I believe in the church. Do you? Let's pray. Thank you, Holy Father. It was by your plan that Jesus was handed over to be murdered to be killed on a cross. It was your plan to raise him from the dead. It was your plan to forgive our sins and use your son to reconcile us to yourself. Help us to see in this miracle 
the life that you have planned for us. Shape us into your church that we might be Christians, little Christs, who give the world a picture of who you are. In Jesus' great name I pray, amen.